This is ACB Media, the broadcast home of the 2022 ACB Conference and Convention. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone. This is Annie Trapetta, part of Friends in Art. Welcome to our Disability and Arts Culture Program. I would like to tell you um, a little bit about Friends in Art before we get started. I'm really excited about this particular um, this workshop. Um, we have our West Coast cadre with us today. And before I introduce them, just to tell you a little about Friends in Art. Friends in Art is the place where visually impaired artists and audience members thrive. You can find us at www.friendsinart.org, and we welcome new members. There's a join link right on our main website, and uh, we would we would definitely um, like to have you as a member or a supporting member. So. Thank you so much for listening to my little uh, blurb there. Um, so I'm going to uh, give this over to Maya Scott, uh, who is my co-facilitator. Uh, and I'd like, Maya, if you could just tell me a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go around the virtual room for our artists to introduce themselves. Um, so there you go. And thank you and welcome. All right. Thank you. Greetings. Uh, my name is Maya Scott, and I am um, an interdisciplinary artist working out of San Francisco, and I teach accessible theater movement and art through City College of San Francisco and also work as um, one of two adult program coordinators uh, with the Lighthouse for the Blind, uh, primarily uh, kind of inciting fun through um, kind of theater and culture events and whatnot, uh, getting out out and about um, and I also had the pleasure of uh, meeting these fabulous folk uh, that are here today at uh, the Art of Disability Culture uh, exhibit out of the Palo Alto um, Center for the Arts in Palo Alto, California, where curator Fran Osborne brought us together with uh, about 15 other artists uh, to um, just basically celebrate um, disability in all of its parts uh, through a really diverse range of arts media. And that's what you'll find today is a very diverse group of visually impaired artists um, with all different kinds of uh, media and experience. Thank you, Maya. Um, Jennifer, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Jennifer Justice, and I am an artist uh, based in Mendocino County, California, um, my uh, my day job uh, is pretty exciting. Also, I'm an access technology specialist with um, the Mendocino College. Um, it's part of the California Community College system. And um, so my work often uh, addresses uh, how uh, accessibility or, or the need for accessibility um, creative accommodations intersects with my art making. Um, so my work uh, I often investigates um, technology as it's used for you know purpose of accessibility 
um, in, in, within the art. So like I make um, tactile maps and um, 3D print, 3D prints. Uh, I make uh, installation sculpture that has uh, multi-sensory um, uh, modalities, ways of, of um, interacting with the work like through smell and touch and vibration. Um, and I also, you know, I also, uh, I started out as a painter. I do have a little, I have some vision um, and I still like to paint. I like, and I also do um, a lot of uh, ekphrasis poetry workshops with uh, museums and uh, uh, um, college uh, and academic, you know, like work groups um, on how to describe art in a creative way for um, anybody, basically, but it, with, a, with a nod to people with uh, vision impairment and blindness. Um, so I, I also run these workshops on the side. Um, and I have, a, we, I have a chapter in a book coming out in, on September 14th. Uh, the name of the book is Creative Access, um, and it's edited by Amanda Katia, and it's all about um, what um, what artists like us are trying to do in making the art world more accessible for our community. Jennifer, that sounds. This is Annie. That sounds wonderful. I think that might be a future art parlor podcast. So I'll be in touch. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> Thank you, um, um, Don. You're up next. Tell us about yourself. My name is Don Katz. I'm a I call myself the blind potter. I discovered pottery in 2018. I probably brought it to the next level in 2020 during the pandemic. I had the opportunity to create a small studio with my, in my parents' home and build a website and start from there is how I ended up in the art of disability culture. I kind of call myself an accidental artist because my background is more in food and wine. And then it seems to be a natural progression because I really locally focus on creating functional wear. Mostly I'm still kind of really, I call myself a baby potter because I'm still have lots to learn. I'm still have no access to a real pottery studio. I'm in the process of building my own pottery studio. So I'm kind of in transition, but mostly I want to focus on making tableware and plateware and more to make easy, you know, plateware for the blind. So our food doesn't fall off our plates. That's kind of what the goal is at some point. I don't know for myself or others, we'll see where it goes. And it's really based on form and function more than anything and kind of exploring the tools and media and kind of, and I still have a lot of practice so I can get myself to the point where I can call myself a master potter, but I'm having an amazing time and I'm working on seeing where the next stage goes. So thank you so much for including me in this. Thanks, Don. Chad Allen. Hey, how's everybody doing? Good. Wonderful. Glad you could be here. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, my name is Chad Allen. Um, I live here in Los Angeles, um, very close to Paramount Studios off of Melrose, if anybody's familiar with the area. Um, I would consider myself a uh, multidisciplinary artist. Um, I've explored a lot of different art forms over my life. Um, my first exploration into the arts was as a competitive tap dancer as a child. And I did that for about 12 or 15 years. Um, and, uh, you know, still, still play around occasionally, uh, with that. But, um, you know, I also play music on the side, uh, for fun, but my primary focus is, uh, performing magic. 
and um, also as a writer and a storyteller. And I think, um, you know, as an artist, whether blind or sighted, um, my, uh, my interest lies in story. So uh, being able to uh, create an arc, a message, a journey um, that's exciting, fun, entertaining uh, for people to um, experience, but then at the same time, um, having some sort of a takeaway uh, once you complete that journey, you should, I think, have a some kind of a metaphorical cup filled at the end that hopefully you can be able to take with you and um, maybe share with others at some point along the line. Um, I do this with my magic. I do this with my um, with my stories, and um, my most successful project to date has been uh, a story I wrote for the Exploratorium Museum um, uh, in 2019 uh, called Unseen, and it's a, uh, a non-visual comic book. So I created it with um, not the pictures and the illustrations in mind first, but the story, and then um, tried to create a cinematic scape that incorporated um, descriptive narration <clears throat> in conjunction with the story, so that when a sighted person experiences unseen, they are getting the flavor of what it's like for us to explore descriptive video while we're watching movies and on that journey. Um, and uh, yeah, it's had, it's had a lot of success, and I'm looking for uh, future projects and opportunities to incorporate uh, the unseen story in. Um, I see it as kind of a transmedia project, so whether that's, um, you know, uh, uh, experienced through an audio drama or a TV show or a video game or um, an illustrated comic book or a tactile comic book or um, a t-shirt or whatever, um, I, my focus is to make it fully accessible and fully immersive. Thanks, Chad. That is, uh, that is awesome. I, I've been following your, um, your creative journey and I, 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 I'm really impressed by it. So I just wanted to let you know that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And uh, so now we're going to go to Kathy Lekshawn. So tell us about yourself. Hello there. Yes, this is Catherine Lecce Chong, and I'm a, a shortish white woman with long white hair, um, an elder living in the Santa Rosa area of uh, California. Um, and and. I, I I was so um, amazed by all my colleagues, their works here, um, how different our work can be, uh, and and very unique, either because of a disability or just because we're being who we are. And it was just very special. Um, the last two years, I've been making large um, tactile icons. And I did it because of the um, pandemic and the lockdown. I was very lonely in my studio. And so um, I just started painting icons, uh, large uh, tactile ones. I love um, embedding things in them. I use acrylic paint and collage. Um, I even embed Braille um, into the paintings and the braille is usually meditations because I'm also a meditation teacher. Um, 
And uh, um, my work also is with what's called the Blind Posse and the Blind Ambassadors, where um, groups of us are invited to go into the Bay Area museums and test the accessibility and accommodations. And then we uh, write reports or we have meetings together and the museums try to improve um, the experience for visually impaired and, and um, all people with disabilities. So I'm very, I'm very happy again to meet with all of you. Thank you, Catherine. I'm sorry I butchered your name. <laughs> people butcher my name all the time, so I should be doubly careful. <laughs> uh, Anne is yours? Kia? It's, I know, right? It's Chapetta. Oh, it's not the Italian Chiapetta. Okay. It could be, but we've Americanized it over the years. Oh. So, yeah. Also fun what our screen readers do to names uh, along <laughs> yes. the way as well. <laughs> right? I know. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for introducing yourselves. And uh, I'm just so, again, I'm so pleased that you're all here to share your experiences and your creativity with our listeners. Uh, and uh, I mean, uh, you all touched upon what I'm going to ask next uh, in your introductions. So, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to delve into it a little bit more about um, what is the parallel between or uh, about uh, disability culture and, and disability activism. And you can, you can frame it as a, in reference to your work or just in general, so I really like if you could keep your questions uh, pretty brief, um, if you can, because in, in the interest of time, I want to try to get through some of these questions. And um, I'd like to just have two people um, answer this before we move on to the next question. Is that okay? So um, feel free to just volunteer and uh, jump jump right in. I can start. Thanks, Chad. Sure. I, th- I think art primarily at a, at a very base level is about communication. Um, and I also think that as an artist, uh, that expression derives solely from the self. And so as a person with a disability, I feel like when I'm trying to express a story, I'm trying to express something to the outside world that may be misunderstood or um, there not be a place for that idea in other things. And so I feel like I can, I can speak to it because of my life experience. And if there's uh, Toni Morrison said something um, that I really like, Um, you know, she said, if there's a, if there's a story that you have, that you haven't read yet, meaning it hasn't been written, then it's, it's your job to do it. And so, you know, blindness, disability, um, you know, the journey of the disabled culture throughout, you know, specifically for me, American history, I think is something that is, is wildly misunderstood and is, is rich with ideas to express and explore with the greater population. 
Thank you. And uh, this is Annie. I, I, I'll take that a step further. And just my, my own reflection is that anytime you speak about disability uh, in terms of in a creatively, you are advocating for, um, for, communi- for communicating that. So, uh, you know, that encourage, whether it's a poem or um, through dance or through other mediums, we we're expressing ourselves. Um, and that, that is our activism within us. So, um, this, is, this is Jennifer. Yes. I, I speak to this. I, I really appreciate yes. Yeah. I really appreciate um, your words, Chad, because I, that's, that was really well stated. Um, thank you. I, sure. I can speak. I, I kind of, I often speak about it in terms of my, you know, the, the feminist lens of the personal is political. Um, mm. I, you know, I was a, uh, you know, a legally blind child and I loved art. And as growing up, it was not, nobody told me you shouldn't do that because you were blind. You know, you shouldn't have an interest in this because you're blind. Um, I I had a very supportive, you know, I, I feel privileged that I had a really supportive family and community that, um, that, 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 you know, nurtured me um and so when i when i um became grew as i got older and i saw that you know i would go my parents would take me to a museum and it was i couldn't read the wall texts and i wasn't allowed to get close enough to some of the works to be able to see the detail um you know get yelled at by the guards and i you know and i never had an an experience like you know again i speaking from a lot of privilege you know uh, as a as a white woman right i had never had that encounter before um i had never been talked down to like that and and i thought well this is it was just such a disconnect, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so in, when I, um, I went to the school, the art Institute of Chicago for my bachelor of fine art. And um, I didn't know any other students who had disabilities um, at, at the school. And um, I only realized years later that a, fr- a friend of mine that, that, um, that, you know, I had had a couple of classes with was actually um uh, had retinitis pigmentosa and, you know, but we were kind of in the closet about our blindness because we, we were like, you know, maybe somebody made a mistake, but, <laughs> you know, like they, <laughs> they let us in the school and like, don't they know that we, you know, so we, we, uh, but I, I, I started looking towards, uh, disabled community in college so that I'd have someone to talk to you about these, experiences of feeling like an outsider um and that really uh changed my world because i met a blind sculptor uh named uh steve hanshu and um he he's he's a wood wood carver sculpt of sculpture and i met other people who were in the arts and it 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 really it just it was like such a relief, you know, because I, it, yeah. it makes you feel like you're not, you're not some alien, you know? <laughs> so for me, I think that, you know, it's uh, about like the solidarity of, of an experience. And, Good point. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So we're going to, in the interest of time, I'm going to try to yeah. get to some other questions, but thank you. I, I, it just, it makes sense. Um, just in, 
having um being visually impaired and and having a uh people around you who who know you know it's the we you know we know it know nothing about us without us type of thing but it goes deeper than that too okay so you've all are uh you've had your i'm assuming now okay you've all had your work placed in galleries or or um you know competitions or um you've you've been performing and I would like to ask if anybody could speak to perhaps deciding not to not to do that based on the lack of accessibility in a venue or a gallery or in a in a theater. Could somebody speak to that? And and like what you know what what in, in, uh, you could what you've done since then to to rectify that with the venue or or, or just. Um, you know, within yourself, how you, uh, how you've, you know, tried to um, be okay with it or not okay with it. I don't want to take over the conversation, but I can certainly speak to that. So if I could let somebody go first and then maybe have an opportunity to just say a couple things, I'd appreciate it. Sure. And I could speak to that. Okay, Catherine, go ahead. Um, it was interesting um, to be in that large show, um, The Art of Disability Culture. It was a huge art center, beautiful place. And I had a lot of paintings, but my paintings are tactile and I want people to touch them. And uh, it was forbidden and it was based on insurance issues of the gallery. And I I had never even thought about that. Um, I, I already there was the irony that we have we're having a pandemic and whether could people touch things. So um, I was in a very strange place. It was like, is my art? Is should I be making this art or what's going on? Um, we tried to um, get the director to allow people to touch the art, but the, no way it was going to happen. Um, so that accommodation for me and the way I work didn't work. And I will have to address that if somehow if I continue to make, you know, physical objects that are made to be touched. And I don't know exactly how that's going to go now if I do other exhibits. I'm still in that process and connecting with people to see, see what I can do. Thank you, Catherine. Um, yeah, it... Uh... It's a concern, especially after the pandemic and all the non-touching policies and bureaucracy of of what the pandemic produced. So, um, okay, Chad, go for it. Okay. So when we're talking about um, inaccessibility, um, you know, we can talk about this in a myriad of ways, whether it's, you know, um, you know, accessing the art, like you mentioned uh, just a moment ago, but what I... I think I want to speak to when you ask the question is I'm angry about it. And I don't, you know, I think there's a difference between rage and anger. I think anger is healthy. I think anger expresses um, that I am not okay with how I'm treated or Mm -hmm. how, um, you know, things are not um, available to me. But what I, what I am exploring in my, older years and I'm not old, but I'm getting older. I've been doing this for a long time is that uh, with the technology and the accessibility and ADA 
um, in its maturity at this point in our lives. Um, there is a wealth of access to a lot of things. However, that access is still sporadic and inconsistent. And when I want to explore a particular topic in depth, and I want to take it beyond the introductory or even beyond the amateur level, that access drops off significantly. And that is not okay. I should have a right to explore my art in the same way that my sighted peers get to explore that. So magic is a very good example of this because many of the books are not digitized. Many of them are not in Braille and many of them are not available because some of these are rare collectible pieces. And so when I perform, when I compete as a magician, um, I'm constantly at a disadvantage and there's no need for it because I'm talking about access to books. This is not some technological innovation that we don't understand how to do, but it's just the uh, availability to it. So I've tried in the past with, uh, you know, um, uh, competing for the Holman Prize, for example, um, to try and make more magic books accessible. But that's just one facet of it. You know, I'm trying to write uh, screenplays and Final Draft is not accessible, you know, on a Mac. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no reason for it. It's it's foolish and it's ignorance. And um, the last thing I'll say is I think out of all my pieces that I've done in some way, shape or form over the years, a lot of them in live performance, I think the one that speaks to this more than anything is Unseen. Um, I created a blind assassin um, who uses her invisibility as an asset, not a disadvantage. And she's, right. she's trying to find her way in the world because she's angry. And um, yeah, so I think, I think that there is a lot of work to be done. And in a lot of ways, it's not understood or um, explored enough. And I think it should be. Well said. Thank you. Can I say something to this question? This is Dawn. Can I make a point about this? Yes. So I kind of, I understand Chad's frustration with how the world is not accessible to us, wholeheartedly agree. I understand Catherine, where she wanted people to touch her work. So I also make pots and tactile ceramic objects. And I did not even have the choice to have them being touched because to unaware to me, they were put in a plexiglass display. So I was very frustrated by this idea. And so that as an artist, I could do nothing about that. I kind of I kind of lost my activism days, as we discussed. I kind of have the opposite effect, where when I found as a potter, I was trying to find studios to participate in, and all of it was being told, no, there's a liability issue, there's this challenge, that challenge. I'm fortunate that I have the means that I've taken the opposite effect, and I'm building my own pottery studio and going to build my own gallery showroom so I can be in charge of what I'm presenting to the world. And as we're discussing, I'm realizing that maybe I will add to Ash my showroom. It's not as, you know, it's maybe a 10 foot, 10 foot space to add other blind and visually impaired or disabled artists also to have that opportunity because I'm realizing I'm very, very, very new to this art world. Um, and only as a blind person, like maybe the last few years, 
and realizing it's very inaccessible and it's how much can we push? So for example, trying to go to verbal descriptive tours in Los Angeles, Northern California seems to be more open. New York City, where I used to live, was very open. Los Angeles, I have to push, push, push to try. And sometimes it gets very, very exhausting. So it's really just a matter of finding this really unique balance between pushing for what we can achieve or want to achieve and a lot of education, which gets really tiring. In my perspective, Thank you, Don. I understand the anger. Thank yes, you. it's, 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 um, the, the anger is serves a purpose. It helps us give a voice to the injustice and uh, and and how how we want that to be changed because it's affecting us directly. Annie, uh, yes. Can I jump in with a very of course. short yes. bit? On the- <laughs> I knew this question would get everybody going. So same um, same thing. Um, uh, I felt compassionate with. Um, with Catherine and, um, and Don, because, um, I was the lucky one who got to have my, um, tactile labyrinth pieces, um, touchable, but it was under the contingency that it was in the children's space where oh, wow. like, they had markers and things for people to like, you know, create <laughs> stuff. So you so. couldn't go in the children's space if you were an adult. You could, but people you didn't really go. want to, cause it was sort of a creative <laughs> space that people assumed were for kids. Okay. So, you know, it kind of got missed on tours and things like that. So, mm. um, so if you're lucky, you get put in the children's space to have your stuff touched. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, um, I, you know, speaking to that, I mean, s- still, if you go into a, you know, a museum in New York, you have, you can't automatically just get those gloves and go in and touch. You, you have to make a special appointment. Mm-hmm. You have to find the right docent that's going to know how to, how to assist. So it, it isn't an instant and it isn't, ex- it, it is, when I think of accessible, I think of, you know, equal, like you go in and doesn't matter who you are or, or, or what, um, what avenue you need to appreciate something that you have that appreciation, you have that option to do that. And it's just, it's, it's there, um, like Chad said, but it's, it's not consistent and sometimes it's not there uh, at can all. I, so can, can I spin it into a little bit of a positive so that we don't leave on such a dark. Yes. Point? I was going to, yes, you go, go for it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, what is, what is the antidote? Right. And, I think it is, um, and this is a lot of work on our part, but if this is the job as an artist, then this is what we do. And the antidote is we advocate. We advocate for ourselves and for the things that we want. And um, we don't necessarily get everything, and it doesn't work all the time. But I will say over the years with my example of magic books, I will go directly to the author and I will say, this is my situation. And I will explain to that writer, that creator, that artist, that I have other authors in the world of magic that are in many cases, their peers that have given me access to their books because I've, I've personally requested it. And so I have cultivated a reputation and a relationship with all of these these creators um, to access their material. And in many cases, I get the digital copy. I make the promise that I would never share that with anyone mm-hmm. because of the, the relationship that I want to establish. Right. I pay for the work. Um, mostly it's less than the, 
the print copy because the cost to the writers themselves isn't, um, you know, as much because there's not a physical copy of the book being made. And over time, I have cultivated a library of material that I can access. And I feel like now more than ever, I am at a point where I have more material than I can consume, at least in the short term. And um, it's very enriching when your advocacy actually um, bears fruit. Yes. And I think that that is a discipline that we all need to cultivate and, and persevere with. Can I jump on the positive bandwagon? Yes. And then we're going to go to open, we'll go, go to open Q and a. Okay. After, after you. Perfect. Answer. Um, okay. Just uh, piggybacking on um, the advocacy point. Um, for example, um, I'm seeing in Northern California, a dream come true of mine. And that is museum studies and curatorial studies professors are inviting uh, those of us with disabilities into their classes to talk about access and universal design and to have that built into their curatorial um, and museum sensibilities from um, the ground up. And um, people such as uh, Fran Osborne, um, who curated the Art of Disability Culture, and Karen Kinzel, who runs the Palo Art Center, and um, Deirdre from CIS, where I got my MFA, uh, they're all inviting us in to um, talk to their students. And not only is it resulting in um, like accessible QR codes and stuff um, for um, on-campus shows, but also, you know, let's put it into Span- Spanish and Cantonese at the same time. So it's really uh, making the students say yes and, which is absolutely beautiful. And similarly, um, a shout out to Jess Curtis and Gravity Dance Company, who decided to audio describe some of their work and realized that it was something that was not really being done for small venue performers. You get it like Mm, Broadway shows. So they said, let's make this a thing. And they have a company now and are hireable by other small venue companies to audio describe their work. So good things are happening. And we just need to go out there and be voices for it. That's, that's beautiful to hear. It really is. It's, it's, it's changing a little bit at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time. And it's because of people like you. So give yourselves all, um, you know, some kudos there. All right. So, uh, so Maya, you mentioned QR coding. Um, could you please explain what that is in terms of, uh, you know, if you're a gallery attendee or even if you're an artist, um, what you might be able to explain it and then maybe explain how to request it? Yes. Um, okay. I don't have the tech, so someone else from here might want to jump in on this as well. Um, basically, it's something that we did with the Art of Disability Culture Show. And, you know, if you hire a sound uh, technician with a nice sound booth and a, um, a voiceover artist, it can be very expensive to do audio descriptions um, and to have the headsets and all that. So, um, you know, there's most of us aren't in that, you know, 1% that end up in those big galleries. So, um, QR codes are super cheap and accessible, and um, they're easily made uh, from pretty much any um, uh, website or document. And uh, so what is pretty easy to do, and we're still trying to figure out best practices for location and all that kind of stuff, is um, 
and I love this to have the artists describe their work in their own voices and um, uh, hook the audio file to a QR code. It's one of those little squares with all the dots that make my eyes go all buggy when they try to look at it too long. And um, it's uh, if, with the average smartphone, you can pick it up um, from your camera. It'll audibly tell you if you're using voiceover that there's one detected and um, whatever content, whether it's the bio, whether it's the curatorial statement, um, whether it's the program for that show that you're about to watch with the cast list and the story, um, it's all there for you uh, right on your device. So vo- voiceover will read it back to you, correct? Um, in, it depends if it's a, a PD, like a document, then, you know, with uh, text content, then voiceover would probably read it back to you. Okay. Um, but in um, our cases, we spoke um, our own truths. We we spoke about our own artwork um, and described it. So, you know, with my work, you heard my voice. With Jennifer's work, you heard Jennifer's and so forth. Somebody else had something to add? I heard somebody. Uh, Jennifer? Yeah, this is Jennifer. I was just going to add that uh, the QR codes are also being used um, with um, a couple of several new um, ON ONN mobility apps that uh, are like wayfinding apps. So this technology is being used not only for um, providing um, audio description, but also for um, wayfinding. Um, and it's it's pretty brand new, so um, I can't speak to it. I, like these apps just came out, but I, you know, um, so I can't speak to them um, in detail. But I think that there's a lot of um, room in the future, in the near, very near future, very near future to to have that capability baked into the experience, the museum or gallery experience for blind um, museum goers, museum goers. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, yeah, there's there's way tags. I was I was checking them out the other day, as a matter of fact, because um, you can uh, AT guys at the ACB Mall is is selling a whole bunch of great stuff, and they're selling a a way tag introductory packet, and it has really it has everything from cl- you know way tags that you can clip on that you can stick on. They're also um, different sizes and shapes. So I was thinking of you know. And it was only like twelve bucks. I was like, "Wow, okay." I this is this going, They're very, they're very, very useful. It's just not so much fun to input all the information. Yeah, yeah. But they're yeah, they're very helpful. They're very easy to use once you put, once you use them. So that's 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 one of these um, burgeoning options that we have that that might be able to level the playing field a little bit more uh, for us, um, which is cool. So I'm going to ask the question. Um, how do you make your art accessible? And I, I, I want, it, it could mean a couple of different things, but for me, it would mean specifically, uh, and for the people that are listening, take us through, uh, one of the pieces that you've, or one of the projects that you've, um, done and kind of share, you know, your thoughts while you were creating about, um, uh, you know, does does the accessibility piece come, you know, come along with everything else? Is it something that that you 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 put in at at the end? Um, I mean, what 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 do you? What's the process for you? I, I, can, 
I, I guess I can speak to that, Ms. Jennifer. Um, it de- I would say it really depends on, for me, it depends on the project um, because I work in different forms. But accessibility is always on my mind uh, throughout the process. Like even if I'm making a painting, I'm thinking about how I can describe it, you know, and in a really, or maybe how to make it tactile. Um, but I, I've gotten... I really gotten um, excited about making um, um, sculpture in the last few years um, with the uh, with you know the av- availability and now affordability of 3D printing. Um, and I had mm. I was lucky to have access to a lathe turning like a wood turning um, not only a shop but uh, like teachers in the in the Bay Area. So um, I, I got really involved in wood turning and um, and that process is very tactile and rewarding. And it's also wood is one of those um, mediums that's pretty hardy, you know, so people can touch it all they want. Right, right. Yeah. And, and you can and you can sand something to a finish and, and polish it to a finish that is just like like, you know, satin. Um, um, and get all kinds of different textures with wood burning and that sort of thing. Um, and it's, 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 um, I, I don't know why wood shops, I, I think the table saw get, gives everybody scared, but like, that's just, <laughs> for <laughs> obvious <laughs> reasons, yeah, 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 you guys, you guys, one, but it's one tool and you don't have right. to ever touch a table saw if you don't want to, like you, you, everything, like there are so many other options that are so much more like that don't, that aren't scary. Right. So <laughs> I think, you know, like, like a wood, like turning on the lathe you do you use a chisel and the wood spins around and you could pr- maybe like bop yourself but you're not going to re- like severely injure right like the know? drill press is another example you can go go to town on the drill press and it's exactly. pretty safe yeah. exactly yeah or even a chop saw like mm-hmm. you know, there are just there's plenty of way you know there's just so many ways safety is part like safety is part of the of learning how to work in a wood shop so it it you know it, you you don't have to be afraid of it um and um i i think and also as a woman I, i'm excited about you know being involved in wood turning <laughs> and woodworking because it ha- it is traditionally has been a man's world and um and you know i i, I just had to learn from a lot of old dudes you know and that was fine too but they were you know they mm. they get it you know and they want women and people of color and um you know queer people and and disabled people to learn these crafts that are like millennia years old i mean people were make were you know people have been carpenters since you know uh jesus right and before so uh (laughs) carpenter yeah (laughs) um so you know it's yeah i i would say if you find a material that excites you whether it's you know so you're so you like sewing or crocheting or knitting or, or sculpting, you know, if you can be excited about it, um, then I I think that's, you're, you're halfway there. Jennifer, let me ask you and follow up with this question. Do you think that that excitement comes through in your art? Do you think uh, someone who, um, you know, would uh, explore your art, will they, will they feel that? I mean, how do you? yeah. 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 I've had a lot of really positive, comments on the tactile mo- the mobile the wood mobiles i've made and um 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think they, you know, I, <laughs> I, I not, you know, not to toot my own horn, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was a, that I, I too was one of the arbitrarily selected blind artists to have my work allowed to be touched in the um, art of disability culture, um, which was strange, but I was happy about it. Uh, but I, man, did I have an uphill battle with the preparator to ensure that everything was up to snuff by their standards. And um, mm. I mean, and he, they told me like, it was, it was, it was, it was kind of awkward because I, I gave them full permission to let people touch them, but they kept, they, they there was just a lot of pushback. And I think mm-hmm. that's in the culture that they've grown, they've, they've come to know and what they mm. hear from their industry. And, you know, it's, it, they have to be educated and they have to be like re kind of reprogrammed a little bit. Um, but right. I, Came in one day and and the curator said, "Oh, hey, I just wanted you to know that when I came in this morning, your 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 ta- your mobile um, had been braided by a child. Like they took <laughs> all of the pieces and they just braided it into like one big braid of, of wood raindrops." <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, that's great. I know yeah, that's cool. Like, I wouldn't have even thought of that, but that's a new version. Oh, wow. So they, but they great were like, story. They were like, oh my God. You know, they were really freaked out by it, but I, I thought it was awesome. Oh, that's a great I, story. Yes. Go my ahead. on the access thing, just from a different perspective, um, I feel like I'm um, space hogging, but um, I just love to jump in on this one because. Um, uh, in a performative perspective, um, I think of access as well um, in a couple different um, manners. A lot of times there's a proscenium when we have performances and there's a lot of distance. And I really love doing work that invites people to, you know, bump into me or um, uh, encounter me or interact with me that's um, responsive. Um, and uh, I think just as a lover of dance, just the chance to break that proscenium and create something that maybe doesn't have the um, full essence of a human body that makes people feel safe to touch it is um, kind of of import. Um, mm. And then also um, kind of from an art perspective, I love working with labyrinths and designing labyrinths. And as I was doing this, um, and this kind of goes into quiet advocacy as well. I was realizing there, kind of like um, Chad was saying, there's not a lot of materials out there about labyrinths available um, to the blind community. In fact, none. So um, mm-hmm. I went to American Printing House with uh, for the blind with a product proposal, and we created a 16-piece um, uh, tactile labyrinth kit, and I got to write the guidebook for it. And one of my designs is in there, um, which is a spiral hand labyrinth. Wonderful that is fully tactile. And so in that way is another means for me to invite the blind community to touch my work. <laughs> so there we go. My Excellent. wonderful book. I love it. And I love all the tactile labyrinths in it. It's wonderful. It's a, it's a treasure. <laughs> I, I also made um, for the, my, the exhibit um, since I realized people couldn't touch the paintings, I went and made my own exhibit book and I made uh, swell tactile drawings of the paintings. 
Um, so that was in mm. there. Yeah. So that was one way I solved an issue, what it might feel like <laughs> to touch the paintings. That's a good point too. That goes back to what um I what Don said about well, if it if people aren't going to give you the chance, give yourself the chance to you know have you know <laughs> come through come through it in another direction and and right, get it right. get, yeah and that's that's an option as well. Would anybody else like to speak about what they would like other people to um to experience when they experience their art? Um, I this is Chad. I um. The, the only thing that I'll say is I, I think this question is a huge topic hmm. and I think it's not only a book's worth to mm-hmm. answer the question, but probably a bookshelf worth mm-hmm. of material to really dive in and uh, articulate this because, um, you know, listening, listening to the fine artists um, speak about, you know, their journeys um, as a, or uh, a dancer, um, you know, as a magician or a writer, those challenges are, are completely different. So I think the medium kind of dictates a little bit of the accessibility. And so to really get into the meat of it, we would have to kind of pick apart all those elements. And I think only then would, you know, we would be able to find the connections and the commonality I think it'd be a great idea to explore, um, yeah. you know, as a project, um, to be perfectly honest. But uh, the one thing I will say about magic, um, I have traditionally been either a formal close-up magician, which means I sit at a table, I have two people, one on my left, one on my right, act as kind of the um, uh, the um, uh, witness to the um, magic in a very close-up way. And then the audience, you know, usually is about 20 to 35, 40 people. And, um, you know, they're, they're verifying the validity of my claims through the insight of the people that are sitting next to the table, because not everybody can get that close and have it, it work effectively. And then I also do stagecraft, you know, which is a totally different thing. And, you know, you know, maybe some descriptive video or something along those lines can, can provide the accessibility to some of the stuff that I might do like silent or just to music or whatever. But the other form of magic that I rarely do is called walk around magic. And it's always been an obstacle for me because I have my cane, but I also need my hands Mm-hmm. to oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> imagine and you know i'm a big advocate of my cane use and um i like to be in control of my space and my awareness of my environment and not to say that i'm um you know uh, uh against sighted guides in any way shape or form but even with a sighted guide i typically use you know my cane so that i'm only you know, using that as a navigation tool, and then I'm taking responsibility for, you know, the steps and what's in front of me and the people that may be maneuvering around me and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, walk around magic requires me to find groups that may be interested in experiencing five to seven minutes of magic. And how am I going to do that? And um, I'm actually mm-hmm. doing uh, my first walk around magic since the pandemic, and I'm using a sighted guide. So, um, you know, I'll have a collapsible cane, they'll hold on to it. Um, but for the most part, uh, it's the rare occasion where I have decided that I'm really not going to rely on my cane all that much 
to do what I need to do because I need to work fast. I need to be able to make sure that I perform to everybody that wants to experience a magic trick in that room. And if it's 150 people and I only have an hour, I got to move quick. So it it will be interesting to see uh, how successful this is. But I'm very hopeful because I think there's actually potentially advantages that may come from this experience. And now, if it is successful and it works out, um, you know, from a marketing or a commercial standpoint, I can, I can now not refuse those gigs or refer those gigs to another magician if the accommodation can be put in play. Well, you got yourself a magician's assistant right there. You know? Exactly. Yes. exactly. <laughs> it's not a sighted guide. It's a magician's assistant. Thank you That's very right. much. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, wow. Anybody else want to speak to this? Yeah. So I, I mostly make... Oh. oh, go ahead, Don. I make accessible... Like, everything I make is accessible. So it's like I... I chose to make tactile things. I make three-dimensional objects that are meant to be touched and used and experienced. So for me, the idea, it's like Chad said, it's all about the medium. So for him as a blind magician, first of all, I think he needs to market the shit out of this because it's a brilliant idea. (laughs) There is no benefit to being blind if we can't capitalize it on somehow. So this is why my website is theblindpark.com because it's a unique perspective. People are going to find it interesting. And if you're talented, you're going to get things more and more. So part of me is like, as much as, you know, the world doesn't want us, we got to use it as a more of a intrigue, interesting, and it's like the education of it. And the world is not as accessible as we want it to be. It's definitely getting better. It's just a matter of how much energy do we have because we have to put together, create our own artwork, and then fight to be shown. So it's a lot, and it's kind of frustrating. And if you can jump past those things or just make like use blindness to your advantage, is kind of how I do it. I used to own a wine bar, and I understand Chad's idea of having to manipulate where he's going. For me, it was like the guests wanted to have specific tables. I don't know if you ever worked in restaurants, but every table has a number. So maybe in general, you might ask the place you're in and they'll, you have to learn the layout first. This takes a long time. And then you just learn what table wants you. So that might be in the future where you don't need a sighted guide where you'll just learn the layout a little bit. Just a, aside for Chad and his benefit there. Well, just to piggyback on Don's idea, if there's anyone out there that is looking for some venture capital opportunities, chatallenmagic.com is open 24-7. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I wanted, I, this is Jennifer. I just yes. wanted to give a brief shout out to Collaboration. And I know that Maya and uh, Catherine, we, we've had great conversations about this. Um you know, collaborating with other disabled and blind artists, I think has been probably the transformative experience of my creative uh, trajectory. Um, And I think that without that, I, you know, I, I can't, you're just like, um, I I don't know where I would be without that. So, and and that's, I think um, I had, Mm. and I think that having community and like, among um, creatives is really, really valuable. And my, um, that's what sort of the, um, what's at the heart of my chapter in, in um, creative access and I'm chapter four. And I know that we're going to have electronic versions available for people to buy. And I just don't have the, the details on that yet, but once I have them, I can share that with people um, that might, um, 
the title of my chapter is Disabled Artist Audience and the Museum is the Place of Those Who Have No Part, uh, which sounds like a bummer, but I talk about, <laughs> so I talk about, you know, where we've come from, but where we're going. And so I'm focusing the second half of the piece, the, the bulk of the piece talks about a collaborative um, disabled artist spaces and disabled arts run spaces. Um, so, um, and, and exhibitions. So, I think that, you know, we, you know, doing it for ourselves is, um, has been a really fruitful way to make sure that um, people feel welcome and like our community feels welcome and, um, and invigorated and, um, and, uh, you know, they're getting the real, like the full experience of art that they should be getting at, you know, MoMA or wherever they go. Um, so I, I wanted to just speak to those kinds of collaborations um like and uh you know that that to me is really key thank you jennifer uh sandra uh well how much time do we have left you have a quarter of an hour left and um you currently have no raised hand <laughs> okay <laughs> um, oh you broke up what were you saying i was asking how many folks are listening uh, currently fourteen. Okay, great. Um, well, in 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 the room, um, but as you know, it's being streamed, so there will be other people listening who can't. Oh speak. right, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, so we we heard so much today, and I, I want to. Uh, a lot of things um, are. Andrea has her hand raised. Oh, okay, oh, we have a raised hand. Yay! Yay. Okay. <laughs> Hi, I have a question, and I think it's uh, probably um, Don uh, that um, that uh, makes pottery, and I believe it's uh, Chad that's the magician. Do you network with people, other artists that are using the same medium as you, or do you find them trying to network with you? You want to go first, Don? Sure. Um networking with other blind I know a decent amount of potters because if you want to work in a pottery studio you have to kind of start in the group setting they find me interesting but I don't I think they're a little nervous around me so there's some welcoming it's like a balance of how accessible I'm not as good as I should be in the networking it's people are fascinated because he's blind and you're oh my god how, how do you make pots how do you play with clay blah 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 so I think it's more of a curiosity and there's not a lot of other blind potters I mean this is my first experience with other artists in general um so I can't no I'm not the best at networking to be quite honest uh this is Chad I um I think it depends on, um, you know, the period in my development as an artist. If we want to, you know, speak specifically to magic, um, because I've been doing that longer than the writing. Um, you know, in the beginning, it was, um, you know, magic clubs and communities. And my approach when I'm first interacting with folks in that way um, is, I just, I listen. I don't, I don't insert my needs um, right away. I mean, beyond the traditional, like accessing the building, being able to, you know, maneuver in the space, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I just listen. 
And, you know, eventually something will happen that I find stimulating and I will then ask a, you know, typically a very, um, you know, blindness related question, like, what are you doing? What, what is the intention of what is supposed to be seen here? I don't understand. And then that brings in the conversation, um, you know, because now I'm forcing them to share something, but I'm also forcing them to think about something in a completely different way than they would typically would. And this exercise for magicians is very good because, you know, we should be focusing on the audience because magic doesn't happen in the mind of the magician. I know how it's done. You know, the, the deception, the fooling part of, of magic has to happen in the audience's mind. So, um, you know, there's that. Um, and then, you know, over the years, and now I live in, you know, really close to Hollywood, California, um, you know, there are, you know, some of the world's greatest magicians on the planet, you know, within a, a hundred mile radius of me and, you know, being able to do it from, for 20 years, I've, you know, I, I performed for Penn and Teller on, um, fool us. I, uh, you know, I got to get a private tour of David Copperfield's museum in Las Vegas. Um, you know, those are the, the big, big, big ones, but, um, you know, there's all the greats in between that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily know because you're not in the community, but, um, I find more often than not, if, if you, if you present yourself in a way, um, that isn't too forceful from up front, you get, you get a lot more with honey than you do with vinegar. <laughs> and then for the people that are vinegar, um, I let them sit in that and it doesn't affect me because I'm getting sourced in another way from another person. And I just leave that aside. And then surprisingly, more often than not, what happens is that person presents themselves as curious and then they start to encounter me and ask me questions, um, you know, and then I can demonstrate my technical ability in the art form. And then all of a sudden, we're not talking about blindness that has disappeared and we're all talking about magic. So we got to see you at the magic castle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And to speak about the, when I'm at the studio, no, most other blind potters, I mean, I sighted potters, I don't get experience a lot of work. So there's people who have like, there's studio might have hundreds of pieces of work there, but nobody's offering me to touch their work. So that's kind of feels a little lost. Sometimes it's kind of a finicky mm. little situation where I'd like to experience more of people's process, but it's not necessarily shared or communicated as much as I would like yeah and I, you know maybe maybe this would be helpful for you i'd be lo- i would love to um you know maybe get a follow up uh conversation that we could have together but instead of asking hey can i pick that up because that might be something that someone feels initially very uncomfortable with but instead of ask you know what was the intention behind you know this work can you describe it to me and then what mm-hmm. ends up happening is they pick it up and they put it in your hand the better idea. It's just about ah. like, I'm, sh- I'm a little shy. It's awkward, you know, these situations. So it's yeah. kind of finding like who to talk to, when you reach out. Like I have no vision. So it's kind of like, when do you speak up? Who are you talking to? Where are they? Mm-hmm. All of those things go into it a lot. Um, Advocacy is a form in and of itself. 
Oh, I'm, <laughs> I I'm totally agree with that. I'm still learning. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, that is so true. Uh, it, it, this is Annie. Just speaking in terms of a writer's perspective, um, you know what? You know, writing is very solitary, even though our material can be sourced by our connections and our relationships to things and with things and of things. The, the actual writing itself is, you know, pretty, is solitary. Uh, and I fi- I found it a long time ago that, um, finding other writers, either through writing groups or critique groups or even, you know, uh, what they now call beta reading groups and things like that. Just people that, uh, you've, you, you know that you can rely upon to, to have that sense of trust and, um, back and forth is, is really, important essential uh, yeah it's essential mm-hmm. you, you you just you can't grow um without that feedback um, yeah. and, and that sense of co- connectedness with other people in your art um or in creative creativity yeah otherwise the ideas are just bouncing back and forth mm-hmm. inside your head and they're not getting out there right for to 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 respond to yes you know yeah, okay. And, and I love it when, like, especially with Unseen, um, when somebody says, oh, you are doing this, and they're 100% correct. Like, that rocks me to my core because I've done exactly what I intended to do, and that communication was 100% received. But I also love it when I intend to do something and they have a completely different take on it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's way better than where I was going. Let me go back and write that again. You know, <laughs> that's what I love about the poetry. Uh, and uh, when when I first present something um, to, I have a couple of writers that that we we have a little poetry group, and I love to hear their take on on something that I'm working on because it may not necessarily be what I was intending, but wow, you know, like. It helps me understand who they are, and mm-hmm. that's what's cool. I had mm-hmm. a um, a couple momentous things from professors um, over the years. One um, professor suggested that um, you know every time you share a piece of um, of your work, you're basically giving a gift, and you have to cut the strings and let it be mm-hmm. what it needs to be for them. And I believe, and another. Um, Professor also suggested that we allow ourselves to fall in love with other people's work in whatever form, you know, it takes for you at the moment. Um, I strongly believe that artists, you know, whatever media you're working in, whether it's literary, magic, um, uh, you know, um, whatever. Um, labyrinth making. Labyrinth making, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that um, uh, artists are people who dare to see the world um, and share it. And, um, you know, we do that as advocates, we do that in social justice, we do that in, um, in words. Uh, anyway, so I, I just, um, just love this idea of um, connecting in, in community, as um, Jennifer also brought up, because um, accountability is, is so important for me as, as an artist. Otherwise, I'm just a lost puppy kind of wandering in circles. Yes. Kind of letting ideas bounce off my nose going, can you catch that one? Can you catch that one? <laughs> and, anyway, so um, yes to, to all the things. 
All right. Um, I think we're, I think we have just five minutes, Sandra. Is that right? I'm just under four. Under four. Okay. So, um, um, I think Linda has her hand raised. Oh, okay. My question has to do with the labyrinth because I think that's an, that's an area that we don't know that much about. And I want to hear a little more about that in the, in the couple of minutes that we have. How, oh, yeah. Experience, what do you, because we really don't think people understand or know what that is. Thank you for asking. Um, in short, labyrinth, um, labyrinths date back thousands of years um, in their variety of traditional forms. And there's a lot of makers working with them today in, you know, inspired by that, but in new forms. And for most of us today, it's um, often used as a meditation tool um, to quiet our minds uh, through kind of a movement meditation. Um, however, they've also been laid out and utilized um, to make statements for social justice to celebrate, to grieve. Um, they've used for um, a lot of things. And my dance lover self and my artist self um, adore the thing because it's an interesting way of um, choreographing people um, when you're walking a big one, um, choreographing the hand if you're walking, you know, a tactile one with your finger. And um, it invites direct interaction and direct connection with the art kind of for this process of um, changing your breathing, changing your sense of self-awareness, changing your perspective. Uh, So I hope that kind of uh, sums it up a little bit. Yeah, I wish I'd asked the question earlier. (laughs) Uh, this is Annie. I actually have a a meditation mug that has a um, a ceramic labyrinth finger labyrinth on the front, and it's in a circle and a medallion on the front of the mug. So when you're drinking from the mug, you can take your fingertip and follow the path of the labyrinth back and forth, and it's such a soothing way of you know just being you know, with, with the moment, you know, with the tea. Um, we have left some one minute left. So, so that's it. Th- okay. Yes. And that's an example of a, thank, of thank a personal labyrinth. <laughs> yes, yeah, gone. Yes. You've got to let us know when you make one. I will. I, I want to commission I one. Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you everybody for the art of the disability culture, non-traditional visual artists workshop. Thank you so much for being here. This is Annie Chipetta signing off for friends in art. Thank you, everyone.